So let's now switch gears and take a look at Jesus, who was the one who inspired St. Patrick. If you want to make that bridge, that's a great way. There, I fit it in. And uh, uh, living like Jesus is what, uh, what we're talking about. Not so much that we copy him, but last week we clearly heard it's not about copying and mimicking his behaviors as much as it is living like he did as he abided in his Father, so are we to abide in him. That is the short answer. Could have saved you a whole sermon last week. But anyway, part two, phase one. Phase one is the life of Christ and how he began. And I'm going to start, again, I have to select key stories because we don't have time to go through everything between now and Easter. Easter's where I'm going to ramp things up to, so I'm going to probably go very quickly, as best I can. But this baptism is a big deal. The baptism in the Jordan. And as some of you, if you don't know the stories of Jesus, this is how he began. This is where his ministry literally began. Then Jesus left Galilee to come to the Jordan to be baptized by John. That's John the Baptist, if you don't know. But when he waded into the water, John resisted him, saying, Why are you doing this? I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me to be baptized? Jesus replied, It is only right to do all that God requires. Then John baptized Jesus, and as Jesus rose up out of the water, the heavenly realm opened up over him, and he saw the Holy Spirit descend out of the heavens and rest upon him in the form of a dove. Then suddenly, the voice of the Father shouted from the sky, saying, This is the Son I love, and my greatest delight is in him. Mm, mm. We got a proud daddy watching his son do something obedient. Somebody asked me this past week, what, what, why do we have to get baptized and do we have to? Well, no, you don't have to. You have already been baptized into Christ at the cross. But there are some instructions that we see consistent in the Scripture. Say, hey, be baptized. Show outwardly what is true of you inside already. And some have been baptized as kids, and I've always encouraged folks, if you're fine with that, you're great. Let that be a profession. But if, that meant, if you don't find a connection to that, then be baptized as an adult. And it doesn't matter how. Full dunk, half spray, you know, flick of a drop. Who knows? Who cares? Take a hose, whatever. You know, the baptism has to do with who you are and recognizing your identity and declaring it. It's about a testimony. That's what it's for. So anyway, Jesus did that. So there's a couple things we can grab from this. In Matthew 3.15, Jesus would have been about 30 years old of age when the Levitical, this is the age the Levitical priests were ordained and qualified to serve. This was his ordination as high priest over the household of faith. Jesus' baptism was a form of dedication. And like Solomon, who dedicated the temple, John now dedicates the temple of Jesus' body, the dwelling place of God. In a sense, John was the true high priest who was ordaining his replacement. Jesus was not repenting, but offering himself as God's sinless lamb. Interesting, age 30 is when they were considered old enough to lead with maturity. Uh, they made me a pastor at 22. What were they thinking? You know, there, there are people put into roles so much younger who have zero life experience in ministry, so to speak, or in whatever. Um, I like that system. I like the idea of giving people time. And yet the young people want to grow up. They want to have a say now. I have a right. Blah, 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 and get into all that. But there's still a maturity 
time that has to happen. And if we all agree, none of us have stopped maturing. If you have, well, I know a good counselor. Matthew 6, 3.16, there are Latin manuscripts and external evidence dating to Jerome indicating the Hebrew, Matthew included this sentence, that a great light flashed from the water so that all who had gathered there were afraid. So some texts put that in the book of Matthew that wasn't just the voice of God, but there was a flash. There was something else that uh, caught their attention. Which, by the way, if you look, who else in the scripture had something like that happen? Do you remember? Paul? On the road to Damascus, big flash of light scared everybody. They, there was, hmm, interesting. I saw a parallel. I don't know if you did. And then, of course, the dove is a symbol of both meekness and purity. Two gentle animals are pictured at the baptism of Jesus, a dove resting upon a lamb. The symbolism is insane. The stories of Christ are rich with symbolism and deep meaning, especially to the Hebrew culture. Then we come to the temptation in the wilderness. As soon as that happened, he was led into the wilderness for 40 days. And he, was, he had three different temptations to hit him. Um, again, let's just read through this because I want you to catch these words from the scriptures. Afterward, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the lonely wilderness in order to reveal his strength against the accuser by going through the ordeal of testing. By the way, that word accuser, uh, many translations will use the word devil. In the Aramaic, the word devil means accuser. It doesn't mean devil. Just something to think about when you assume a word means something when it may have greater and wider meaning than we first thought. So, um, after fasting for 40 days, which is a really long time, anybody agree? Yep. Jesus was extremely weak and famished. Then the tempter came to entice him to provide food by doing a miracle. See, so he said to Jesus, how can you possibly be the son of God and go hungry? Just order a French fry and lar- No, just kidding. Order these stones to be turned into loaves of bread. And he answered, the scriptures say, he does this three times, he uses the scriptures say. That should be a sign for us when we're dealing with struggles too. He's pulling out the scripture. Um, The scriptures say, bread alone will not satisfy, but true life is found in every word which constantly goes forth from God's mouth. Then the accuser transported Jesus to the holy city of Jerusalem, perched him at the highest point of the temple, and said to him, if you're really God's son, jump, and the angels will catch you, for it's written in the scriptures. He will command his angels to protect you, and they will lift you up so that you won't even bruise your foot on a rock. Once again, Jesus said to him, The scriptures say you must never put the Lord your God to a test. And the third time the accuser lifted Jesus up to a very high mountain range and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all the splendor that goes with it. All of these kingdoms I will give you, the accuser said. If only you'll kneel down before me and worship me. But Jesus said, Go away, enemy, for the scriptures say, Kneel before the Lord your God and worship only him. At once the accuser left him, and here's a great line. The angels and uh, and angels suddenly gathered around Jesus to minister to his needs. Immediately. What can we get out of this? 
Again, we talked about the word devil being accuser. In Matthew, Moses and Elijah both, both fasted 40 days. Uh, number 40 usually signify, sig- signifies a passing test or an enduring time of trial. It rained for 40 days in the time of Noah. Jonah warned Nineveh, 40 days, it's coming, look out. And then God told Ezekiel to lay, his hand, lay on his right side for 40 days. Talk about bed sores. My goodness. And then later, we see something else going on. God had not given Jesus permission to turn stones into bread. Jesus would not be pushed into prematurely demonstrating his power. He was content with the timing of his father. He refused to turn stones into bread to feed himself. But he multiplied bread for his hungry followers. Today, he's still turning hearts of stone into living bread that will feed the nations with truth. This idea that Jesus chose not to live out of his deity. This is another evidence from last week when we talked about Jesus moment by moment listened to his father. And father didn't give him a yes. Okay, Father did not say, you know, tap that rock and water will flow or switch that into bread. There was a complete exhaustive yielding. Some of us have some yielding to do because we still want to control things in our lives. What a beautiful picture of absolute abiding. Next, the first disciples. I don't know if you realize this, but uh, Jesus started walking around and people started following him. He had disciples. He had those who were listening to him, and Jesus answered, come and discover. Again, they, they were down by the water. Come and discover for yourself. So they went with him and saw where he was staying, and since it was late in the afternoon, they spent the rest of the day with Jesus. One of the two disciples who heard John's words and began to follow Jesus was a man named Andrew. He went and found his brother Simon and told him, we found the anointed one, which is translated the Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet him. When Jesus gazed upon Andrew's brother, he prophesied to him, Ah, you are Simon, and your father's name is John. But from now on, you'll be called Cephas, which means Peter the Rock. And you're going to hear something in just a moment of another uh, meaning for the word Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to the region of Galilee. There he found Philip and said to him, Come and follow me. Now Philip and Andrew and Peter were all from the same village of Bethsaida. Now take a look for just a moment what Andrew did. Andrew is like this this guy who caught something. He caught the spirit of Jesus. He knew something in him said, "This, This is important. This is the one. Who would possibly have revealed that? Only God could have revealed that to him. And he didn't even know God was actively working in his life. And it was God's passion in Andrew that sent him to go get Peter. This is what love does. This is what happens when a truth you are super excited about that's become real, you're going to tell somebody somehow. It's how it works. When you got exciting news, when you have a baby born, woohoo! everybody knows. And today it's even worse, Facebook. You know, everything, and way too much info there. But I'm just saying, there, there's an excitement about good news. You have an anniversary, you have a birthday, your kid wins a trophy, scores the first goal, you're just a cheer and you're excited. You just got that promotion, you got that job. You cheer and celebrate things in life and you tell people, what about Jesus Christ? The revelation you have of him, is that exciting or has it become boring for you now? It's an interesting question. It gets better. Then Philip went to look for his friend Nathaniel, 
and told him, we found him. We found the one we've been waiting for. It's Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth, the anointed one. He's, he's the one that Moses and the prophets prophesied would come. And Nathaniel <laughs> sneers, Nazareth, what good thing could ever come from Nazareth? Philip answered, come, let's find out. You can tell he's Tigger. Then Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, and he said, Now here comes a true son of Israel, an honest man with no hidden motive. And Nathanael was stunned and said, But you've never met me. How do you know anything about me? And Jesus answered, Nathanael, right before Philip came to you, I saw you sitting under the shade of a fig tree. And Nathanael blurted out, Teacher, you are truly the Son of God and the King of Israel. Pause. That millisecond, he suddenly believed, or is that how the story was written? But something happened in Nathaniel, and I believe it was a God thing again, because just the mere words of a man speaking can't do that kind of a change. But he recognized there's something that was known to Jesus that he could not have known, and he wanted to be part of this greater power that he observed. We all want that. We always want to be around somebody who's bigger and better than us, that we look up to. We want to attach our wagon to somebody who is um, more skilled and more talented. We just, that's how we're wired humanly. Why do you think you have all these uh, athletes who people chase after and try and get signatures? Or, oh, I know so-and-so. They name drop this person, name drop that. We do it in the church, too, big time. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's terrible. Here's some points. The Aramaic, Aramaic can also be translated, you are Simon, son of the dove, which means someone who hears. It's not just Peter the rock upon which I will build my church, but also the dove. There was still a gentleness in Peter that Jesus recognized. In John 1.51, this is an obvious reference. Oh, yeah, we didn't get to that part. But uh, there's, a, there's a reference to the ladder of Jacob. Uh, we don't have time to go back now. It's too late. But Jesus is telling the story of the heavens coming down and the up and down uh, of, the, of steps, referring directly to Jacob's dream in the Old Testament. There's an immediate bridge to the Old Testament prophets. Can't miss that one. Wedding at Cana. Oh, this is a good one. Here we go. Yes. Yes. I've been waiting for this. All right. It's closed, don't worry. Um, Jesus and his disciples, they were all invited. Now, this is, this, is, uh, this is after the baptism, after the 40 days, and Jesus hasn't officially started anything. He goes to a wedding with his few disciples that he has with him at the time. To a banquet, here we go. Uh, but uh, there were so many guests in attendance that they ran out of wine. And Mary realized it. She came and asked him, they have no wine. Can't you do something about it? Wink, wink. Jesus replied, my dear one, don't you understand that if I do this, it won't change anything for you, but it will change everything for me? My hour of unveiling my power has not yet come. Mary then went to the servers like any mother would do, override your son's wishes. Mary went to the servers and told them, whatever Jesus tells you, make sure you do it. <laughs> okay, here's a really cool lesson in how God works. Remember, we've been talking about Jesus abiding in the Father, listening to his Father's voice moment by moment, instant by instant, like we are being called to do by Jesus. As I abide in the Father, so you abide in me. Jesus is in constant communication with his Father. He knows he's not been given the time to start something, to do a wow, okay? 
but so he tells his mom, Mom, the time's not mom. Seriously, the time's not now. Go away. Ugh, mothers. You know? That, that, he's 30, right? It's gonna happen. But within seconds or minutes, the voice of God speaks, now's the time. It wasn't two minutes ago, but it is right now. That's how fast God can speak to us and confirm. You and I would instantly do this, but a few minutes ago it was no. And yes, which, which voice is it? Right? God, what do you want? I, I, I don't get it. It's at the moment of need, the Holy Spirit will give you a peace to know now. And that requires trust. And Jesus trusted the God who indwelled him and was speaking to him and guiding him. It's a powerful picture. Now, there were six stone water pots standing nearby. They were meant to be used for Jewish washing rituals. Clean your hands. Each one held about 20 gallons or more. Jesus came to the servers and told them, fill the pots with water right to the very brim. Then he said, now fill your pitchers and take them to the master of ceremonies. And when they poured out their pitcher for the master of ceremonies to sample, the water became wine. When he tasted the water that became wine, the master of ceremonies was impressed. Although he didn't know where the wine had come from, the wash basins, <laughs> but the servers did know. He called the bridegroom over and said to him, Every host serves the best wine until everyone, oh, sorry, uh, serves the wine of, sorry, Every, every host serves the best wine first until everyone's had a cup or two. Then he serves the wine of poor quality because they're going to get tanked. But you, my friend, you reserved the most exquisite wine until now. This miracle in Cana, Cana was the first of many extraordinary miracles Jesus performed in Galilee. This was a sign revealing his glory and his disciples believed in him. This was a big deal. Now, I find it funny for all the arguing about whether drinking is right or not in the church that his first miracle is to create the juice that really does make you happy. Okay? Like, not too much, right? This is moderation, wisdom. If you understand Jewish celebration, it's nothing like our Western Patty's Day stuff that goes on around here. Nothing like that at all. It's authentic celebrating with wisdom and joy and relaxedness. Well, uh, something to point out. How many bottles of wine would have been <laughs> in those six thingies? If you do your math of a 750 milliliter bottle, 600 to 1,000 bottles. How many weddings have you been at where 1,000 bottles are pulled out? I don't think so. Okay, that's a lot, all right? That's a lot of wine. Uh, and then, and this is after the other stuff was used up, okay? There were too many people, or somebody was really bad at math, or it was just an amazing first miracle. So why, why so much? Why did Jesus make so much? First, it's a picture of his excessive grace. This is how God works. I could use $2, God. Here's a hundred. He blesses us because he's the source of all blessing. 
And here's an amazing picture of God's grace to you and I. We're begging for the forgiveness of one little sin, and he has forgiven everything of everyone. Over the top, always more excessive, better than you can imagine. It's a a picture of his abundance of blessing. The fruit of the vine. He is the fruit. We bear fruit by just being attached. Here, he produces the fruit for all to enjoy. The fruit wasn't for his own enjoyment. It's for everyone else's enjoyment. This God is getting better than I thought. This is amazing. And it was the age of blessing that has arrived. And he did much more than he was asked to do. This is a great way to launch something with a big gusto, a big over-the-top. I wonder how much was left over. Like, who knows? Maybe he just blessed them, they sold some, and it became a, a great wedding party gift. Who knows? Who cares? This is Jesus going over the top. And we don't hear another thing about it. He just goes on to the next place. And this is how Jesus rolled. Okay, ejection of the money changers. This, is, this, is gonna, this kind of surprised me yesterday. And no, not today. <laughs> You're going to laugh. Did you know there are two times Jesus turned over tables? I didn't. I always thought it was the same event. It just read differently. But there's a problem here. In the book of John, it happens right at the beginning at one of the feasts, because there's a couple more feasts that happen, especially if you read through Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It happens later, uh, right after the triumphal entry, around that time. This instance is the only time you hear of Jesus pulling out a whip, creating and making a whip and driving them out of the temple. This is not a great way to start ministry. You know, ticking off the religious leaders right where it counts. It's like he kicked them hard where... It hurts forever. Is their money? The money is where he got them. So here's what Jesus does. He went into the temple courtyard. He noticed it was filled with merchants selling oxen, lamb, and doves for exorbitant prices, while others were overcharging as they exchanged currency behind their counters. So Jesus found some rope and made it into a whip. Then he drove out every one of them and their animals from the courtyard of the temple, and he kicked over their tables filled with money, scattering it everywhere, and he shouted at the merchants, Get these things out of here. Don't you dare make my father's house into a center of merchandise. But the Jewish religious leaders challenged Jesus. By what authority do you have to do this sort of thing? They were ticked. If God gave you this kind of authority, what supernatural sign will you show us to prove it? And Jesus answered, and man, this has got to be God's voice because you and I would not come up with this. I guarantee it. He says, um, after you've destroyed this temple, I will raise it again in three days. Then the Jewish leader sneered, this temple took 46 years to build, and you mean to tell us that you'll raise it up in three days? But they didn't understand. He was talking about the temple of his body. Do you realize, even in the temptation of, the, of the, uh, uh, being thrown down from the temple, Jesus was the temple. He didn't need to be dropped down to that. There is something about the embodiment of the Trinity going on here. Jesus is consistent in revealing the oneness he has with his Father. And here he does this whole temple thing. 
Then he has a late night jaunt with Nicodemus. Uh, John 3. Remember Nicodemus? He was a, uh, a Pharisee leader guy. I think he was part of the Sanhedrin. So he's a pretty big top dog who had a lot of influence. And he met with Jesus quietly, late. Um, one night he discreetly came to Jesus and said, Master, we know that you are a teacher from God. For no one performs the miracle signs that you do unless God's power is with him. So here we have indisputable proof that the religious leaders who are not for Jesus, in fact, he's, he's ticked them off so bad, they're never going to vouch for any credibility here. And yet you can't hide the miracles. And there's so many that he'd done that we had not even had written yet. Okay? The healings, you name it. Unbelievable. And then... Um, Jesus answered, Nicodemus, listen to this eternal truth. Before a person can perceive God's kingdom realm, they must first experience a rebirth. This is where he says, you must be born again. Nicodemus said, rebirth? How can a gray-headed man be reborn? It's impossible for a man to go back into the womb a second time and be reborn. Duh, we all know that. Simple science. Jesus answered, ah, I speak an eternal truth. Unless you are born of water and spirit wind, you'll never enter God's kingdom realm. For the natural realm can only give birth to things that are natural, but the spiritual realm gives birth to supernatural life. Here's the good news of this text. Jesus was speaking to what is coming. He was speaking to the cross. He was speaking to his death, burial, and resurrection. He was speaking to the baptismal of humanity, being baptized into Christ and being raised into life and reborn. But there's no way Nicodemus could understand that. This was a spiritual act that happened. You shouldn't be amazed by my statement. You must be born from above. For the spirit wind blows as it chooses. You can hear it sound, but you don't know where it came from or where it's going. So it is with the hearts of those who are spirit-born. Then Nicodemus replied, I don't understand. What do you mean? How does this happen? He really wanted to know. And here's the beauty of this kind of a conversation. Hint, hint, wake up people to people who are challenging you. If they're there to fight you and correct you and prove you wrong, walk away quickly. He authentically wanted to know. He didn't get this, this spiritual, deeper stuff. And yet, Jesus knew his heart and continued having the conversation with him. And here's where we get some really good news. Jesus answered, Nicodemus, aren't you the respected teacher in Israel? And yet you don't understand this revelation? I speak eternal truths about things I know. Things I've seen and experienced and still you don't accept what I reveal. If you're unable to understand and believe what I've told you about the natural realm, what will you do when I begin to un unveil the heavenly realm? No one has risen to the heavenly realm except the Son of Man who also exists in heaven. <gasps> Did you catch that? Not only was Jesus there in bodily form, he also existed in the spiritual heaven. Hmm. 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 
And just as Moses in the desert lifted up the brass replica of a snake on a pole for all people to see and be healed, so the Son of Man is ready to be lifted up, so that those who truly believe in him will not perish, but be given eternal life. Pause there. Remember the story in Israel where the camp got invaded, the Israelite camp got invaded by all these snakes, and they were biting, and people were dying, and they cried out to God, Lord, help us, help us, we're in trouble, we screwed up. And he said, okay, build a brass thingy, and you have the snake around a pole, and anybody who looks at it, just look, just, just look, help their eyes, bring, make them look, open their eyelids, whatever, make them look, and they'll be healed. Funny that that symbol is on every single medical thing we have today. Every single ambulance service, pretty much, is the symbol of that snake on a pole. Jesus was that representative. He was now going to be the one who would draw all people to him. All would see him and be healed. Salvation would come. This Old Testament showing up in the new. Like, what? And here's the best part. For this is how much God loved the world. He gave his one and only unique son as a gift. So now everyone who believes in him will never perish but experience everlasting life. Even better, God did not send his son into the world to judge and condemn the world, but to be its savior and rescue it. And yet, I grew up believing God came to condemn you, therefore you better believe or you go to hell. And all we hear is the voice of condemnation, 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 as if that's going to motivate. And sometimes it does out of fear, because some people are really good at the fear-mongering. But that's not the grace of Christ. That's not how Jesus came. Jesus came to bring life in all of its fullness. He came to heal. He came to lift up those who were in places of despair, who were rejected, who couldn't speak up for themselves. We're going to see a lot of stories like that, especially with women. He, he was the first woman liberator. He was it. <laughs> oh my goodness. Who is this Jesus we say we believe in? Let's find out next week some more. There's more coming up. And I think next week we're going to hit, yep, woman at the well. Just a brief look at how he lifts up a woman and respects her as society refused to. Next week.